Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome into The Rebuild. I am Henry Ettinger, joined, as always at this point, by Jordan Klimak. Jordan, lots of Browns news going on the last couple days, a couple of, of signings, but the biggest news, the news we got to start with, your Ohio Bobcats pulling yeah. off the NCAA yeah. tournament upset against the Virginia Cavaliers, 62-58. Jordan, what does it feel like to be on the winning side of an Ohio team today? Oh, it's so great, too. And, 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 you know, to have a bunch of friends that went to Ohio State as well and to kind of just be able to, like, you know, shove it in their face because uh, Ohio basketball is better than Ohio State basketball. Obviously, I can't say that about football. But it's awesome. We had Cleveland State as well, but. Henry, I, I wanted to, like, you know, I was watching the game with um, some old roommates from Ohio University uh, last night, and it was like, do we do it? Do we do we make, do we get in the car right now and make the drive? And it was like, ah, it's going to be like three and a half hours. By the time we get there, it's probably going to be too crazy. Shit's going to get shut down. Of course, that's exactly what happened. So <laughs> glad we didn't end up making, you know, the trip down there. But, oh, it's, it's awesome, man. I'm so happy for Coach Bowles and the entire program because they really deserve it. They've been through a lot this year, and uh, – it's it's pretty fucking awesome, man. <laughs> I can't lie. I'm sure. I'm sure it was uh, it was crazy. It, it it certainly won a lot of money for me on the gambling side of things. I'll be honest. The college yeah, basketball has <laughs> college basketball has not been good to me in general, but the NCAA tournament has has been much kinder to me, and specifically Ohio University. That was the game I bet the most on in, in several different ways, and, and they just- there big time. It didn't just seem like it was going to happen for some reason. Like it just, for whatever reason, I just knew it was like, I felt like I knew, like I was so confident going into that game that they were going to be able to beat Virginia. And it kind of played out exactly how I thought it was going to. Well, Virginia, I looked as, well, we don't want to get too far down the road of college basketball <laughs> talk, but here, but you know, COVID issues and everybody, you know, right, I yeah. think two years ago erased a lot of demons that, that Virginia still has though with their style. So yeah, no, I was right there with you for sure. But uh it was it was heart race <laughs> heart racing stuff. It was fantastic. I'm oh, yeah. very glad that uh, Ohio University was able to, to pull it out. So I wanted to start with that before we got into the meat of the show, Jordan, because we had to talk uh, about the big upset. However, as I said at the top, there were some pretty uh, you know bigger moves than I think we expected from the Browns these last couple of days. Some more free agency moves rolled in that I think are really worth talking about. Let's start with Anthony Walker, Jordan, because that yep. was the first one that came down since we last recorded. And we talked about the rumors about Anthony Walker being in Cleveland, how that didn't necessarily mean he was going to sign, but ultimately he did sign with the Browns. It was a one-year deal for $3.5 million. So, Jordan, now that we know this deal has actually gone down, how do you feel about it? You know, I guess uh, it's okay. You know, I mean, I'm not like jumping out of the seat. Like, you know, I wasn't like texting you immediately. Like, let's hop on this cast. We got to talk about Anthony Walker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that wasn't happening, but I mean, it's, it's a good signing. Uh, and the reason here, Henry, uh, this is what I'll say about it. I was, I was kind of indifferent to it. It was kind of like, okay, I'm probably going to bring back BJ Goodson. It's, it's not that big of a difference. I mean, we talked about in the last podcast how, they're kind of the opposite one of one another in that BJ Goodson is pretty good against the run and you can keep him on the field for running downs. And Anthony Walker is kind of the opposite, like struggles to tackle a little bit, but also, you know, he <clears throat> also, he, you know, is able to do a little pass coverage a little bit. So at that point you have to ask yourself, like, 
what is the good the good in the signing? I don't know if you saw the videos. Did you see the Darius uh, Leonard videos? Like, I did. Because, I did see the Darius Leonard videos. Yeah. Like okay, because at my point, I was like, like I said, I was on the uh, fence about it, and then I saw that video. I was like, okay, like this guy meant a lot to that team. He meant a lot to Darius uh, Leonard. So it's like if he can have that same effect on some of these young bronze linebackers, I'm absolutely all here for it. This pains me to say this, Jordan, as I mentioned on the last <laughs> podcast, Anthony Walker was a staple of my fandom at Northwestern University. Yeah, right. Before I thought about this, and now that it's played out, I, I'm not behind the signing at all. I don't really, this is the first one I don't really get <laughs> if you're the Browns. To me, it like, is there a reason we didn't, aren't keeping BJ Goodson? And it, it seems uh, like that, yeah, at this point, that's what this is pretends. Anthony Walker is is worse than B.J. Goodson. At least he certainly was last year. So I guess I'm not really sure I understand the point of this. And it's not – Anthony Walker is not a player, too, with, like, specific strengths and weaknesses that are very apparent. He was just kind of slightly worse than B.J. Goodson across the board last year. Run, pass, all of that. So I – and everybody on the Brown side was talking about the leadership aspect of it, but this is a one-year deal for like a mid-tier veteran. I get it with John Johnson, right? We talked about John Johnson and the leadership, and I'm totally on board as far as that concerned because he's a foundational piece. You're signing him to a three-year deal where you expect him to be a key core piece of this defense. I, I, leadership for a guy on a one-year deal in the linebacking core, it, to me, is just not that valuable when I don't see him as a long-term piece. And I, for this money, I, why are we not just keeping BJ Goodson? That's the part I don't understand. So here's my question to you, and and I understand like how why you're hesitant, and, and I was kind of the same way of like what like it's kind of just a whatever signing, but you know you look at it. I mean, we talked about multiple times how maybe he's not the best tackler, but I mean his stats are there when it comes to tackling. Uh, he made over a hundred tackles in 2018 and 2019, and then 92 last year. So. To do that alongside Darius Leonard and Leonard, of course, missed some time. So maybe that kind of spikes Walker's numbers. But I think his I, I, I don't know. You probably know more about him than I do, obviously, you know, with his Northwestern roots. But like, I don't know. The stats are there for tackling. That's that's what I don't get. Like, I've heard a lot of people like, oh, he's not the best tackle tackler in open field and all that. But I, I don't know. The stats are still there. He, he's high volume. He's high production. And the advanced numbers this year were better on, on him as far as tackling. So if you want to make that case, you certainly can. But if you look at in previous years, he's had some really tough tackling years as far as PFF is concerned. And in the, in the run game, he just th – there's also an argument that he's a little bit more instinctive. If, if you're playing pro Anthony Walker side, there, there are some arguments that he makes a, a, you know some more plays at the line of scrimmage than B.J. Goodson. He's a little bit more instinctive as far as blowing plays up. But other than that, I mean, look, the, the run defense numbers are worse. The, the tackling is worse. Uh, I, I get the volume is there as far as that's concerned, but it's also declining. I, that's, that's a part I don't love, too, is he's, he's a guy, if you go look at his PFF grades, is declining year over year, and he's into his mid-20s. I, I'm just not sold on this. Now, the only other pro I've seen is, is there is some evidence that – there are some numbers that like him in pass coverage. And if you want to sell me right. that he's going to be better than BJ Goodson as far as pass coverage, I understand that. I think that's the, a limitation of BJ Goodson for sure. But 
nothing jumps out to me about Anthony Walker. And I felt like we saw BJ Goodson be very productive in this system. He was a scheme fit for it. And this just feels like an unnecessary risk to me. Yeah. Yes. And no. I mean, I don't think you can put enough value on like some of the things that his teammates have said, like, cause look about it. Like there, there are two guys in particular in this, maybe even three, if you want to throw in Taki Taki, but there are young guys on this um, linebacking core that really haven't ever had now I get that Walker's not really a, a true veteran I think he's only 25 years old but they haven't really had a presence in that linebacking room to kind of like guide them and and kind of make them into the player that they are realize their greatness that kind of thing and I don't know it seems like Anthony Walker can be this guy for like the you know the Phillips the Mac Wilson's maybe he can uh, get Mac Wilson to stop tweeting like 10 minutes and before a game and and 10 minutes after a game <laughs> but <laughs> see I I mean to me I'm just like yeah so so Anthony Walker's like a great leader but in one year is he gonna like is his leadership gonna make Mac Wilson a better tackler like I hope so you know I I don't I don't really like I I that's where I'm lost on this like as I said John Johnson I get it like guys for you know three four years all you know, part of this defense in the long term, I understand how that can rub off on a culture, but I just don't see it in, in terms of, of a one-year deal like this with Walker. Yeah, I, I, I get your point. Like, I, I it's, it's, and it's a and, fair point to say, like, how, how much can you possibly do in one year? And, and one other thing that bothers me, this this I, I just thought of, and Jordan, I believe in the Colts front office in general. I, I think Chris Ballard has done a really nice job building that roster. They have tons of cap space this year and they could have easily re-signed Anthony Walker somebody they had in their building and they chose not to like this is not an expensive price at all for Anthony Walker and they they've been sitting quiet in free agency and we talked about you know like John Johnson and, and and Troy Hill and all these other guys like why are they becoming free agents and it makes sense right oh the Rams they can't afford these guys so they have to let them walk so we understand why they're a free agent the people in-house may have wanted to keep them, but financially they just can't do it. In the case of Anthony Walker, the Colts could have absolutely kept him. They drafted him. This front office drafted him. He played there for four years. You talked about, you know, he, he certainly made uh, a lot of impact in the raw numbers, plenty of tackles. And they, it was a one year, three and a half million dollar deal when they have tons of cash space. And they're like, nah, we're good. That, that raises a red flag to me. That, that concerns me. Yeah, well, so here, do you think this, because I think that, I think we can both sit here and say, like, uh, do you, you don't think Walker is a three-down linebacker, do you? I think he's going to be in this Brown system. I Well, so that's, well, but like, nor, like it's kind of the same thing that we said last year about B.J. Goodson, right? Like, like yeah, he's not really a three-down linebacker, and then kind of like, by circumstance, he had to be, like, but I'm not looking at Walker as a three-down linebacker. I, I understand by, again, circumstance, he might need to be. But do you think – I think there's still a solid chance because this is one-year deal. Um, Malik Jackson, who we're going to get to, also a one-year deal. So it's like, I don't know. Maybe there is a chance that they still do bring B.J. Goodson back and kind of go back to a rotation there. I think that actually is a real possibility. For some reason, I was just thinking that when I was thinking of, like, he's not a three-down back and backer and neither is B.J. Goodson necessarily. So I I, I don't know. I, I think it's – I think there's a chance because look, there's a lot of these moves I've kind of in the past couple of days, I've been like, Oh, I didn't really think of that or see that coming. So who knows? I, maybe there's a chance that they do bring them back and they kind of rotate that spot. If BJ Goodson's brought back, I think a lot of my concerns are alleviated for sure. Yeah. Because I think BJ Goodson would outplay Anthony Walker and play more often for the Browns. So that's, 
that's right. where Anthony Walker slides in as, as more of a depth piece. But this, to me, the fact that Goodson hasn't signed and that they went ahead and signed Walker, my, my senses are telling me that that means BJ Goodson is, is on the move here. And I just, look, they, they obviously pulled some of these guys out of the, the bargain bin last year and, and did okay with them in this scheme in a lot of the linebackers analytically graded out very well and, and all of that. But I look at Anthony Walker and I feel like you went from a known quantity in BJ Goodson to an unknown quantity in Anthony Walker, who also doesn't have a track record of outplaying BJ Goodson. I mean, he's, he's been worse previously in, in his per- career. The, so I'm, yeah, this is just, it's look, do I think it so, kills the Browns? No, but it also to me was the first signing where my eyebrow was raised. I was like, huh, this just doesn't, this doesn't really make sense to me. So here's something that I, we could also consider for this signing is, you know, you mentioned you hit it on the head about the Anthony Walker and kind of what he means in pass coverage. He can be a solid pet. Like, don't you think that that's the route that the Browns have gone so far this offseason has been solidifying pass coverage? It really does seem like that. And then we have to remember, too, like, and that comes twofold in football. And if you have a good, you know, a good pass coverage, you have a good secondary that makes things tough on receivers, all of a sudden that makes your defensive line better. Like, you know, and then it's kind of, you know, the opposite as well. If you have a really good defensive line, it makes your secondary look better. I think it goes either way. I think that the Browns, just by the moves that they've made so far, it seems to me they're like, get better in the secondary. We know we still have Miles Garrett going to do whatever he's going to do. But if we get better in the secondary, we can make our pass coverage better by just being better defenders, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, and – that's it's I, I I see your point there, and my hope is that look as a fan of this team, my hope is that Anthony Walker is better in pass coverage. As I said, there's uh, he basically has I think the seventh lowest you know, yards of separation in, in pass coverage over the last several years, basically since his career began in 2016. So there is that. Two years ago, PFF graded him really highly in pass coverage. So yes, I understand the gear towards passing and pass coverage and pass defense. I appreciate all of that. It needs to happen, but I, I just not sure that Anthony Walker is the solution <laughs> to that. That I yeah, guess, I guess yeah. the idea of that is good. If it works out, I j- and, and maybe that's what they're going for. So I see the rational rationalization there, but three out of the four years he's been in the league, he's graded in the fifties in PFF and pass coverage. I mean, this guy's not exactly like yeah. lighting it up as a pass coverage linebacker. No, of course not. I'm just saying, like, I'm just pointing out the fact that, like, from day one of free agency, obviously it was clear that he was putting a focus on the secondary and making the secondary better. Because there, again, there were those big-name defensive edge rush guys that they couldn't sign, but they didn't. They went after secondary first. So I just think that that's how they were going to approach this offseason. And it's, it, that's kind of what this move means to me as well. Yeah, and, and I could get behind, hey, Look, I, I I am not going to be the guy that says you need to spend a lot of resources on linebackers. So I'm I'm all there yeah, for addressing exactly. the secondary first. It's just I I I think the resources could have been spent on a on a better bargain player than Anthony Walker. So that's that's where I am with this one. Jordan, a signing I liked more though, Malik Jackson, which which came in yeah. after Anthony Walker, and I think that one is a lot uh, a one that makes a lot more sense if you're the Browns. Everybody, it seems like has been pretty universally high on this one. Are you kind of in line with the consensus there as far as this makes sense for the Browns? Oh, absolutely. And um, Henry, this is another move I've talked about where, you know, Barry has been so good at some of these moves that like 
I don't even think a lot of people have seen them coming or like even like linked this name to the Browns possibility. Like I was pretty shocked when I saw this. I, I don't know about you. Like you're just your initial reaction. I was like, wait, Malik Jackson, we, we just signed him. Like, hell yeah, let's go. But I, I was surprised at first. I, I wasn't as surprised. I, I, it sounded like the Eagles were going to move off him. So I, I guess I was, I, I wasn't really sure that the Browns were going to necessarily sign anybody extra as far as a D tackle or if they were just going exactly. to go in with Andrew right. Billings, but I understood Malik Jackson was out there. So I guess, that makes sense from my perspective uh, that I, that I thought uh, he could be on the move. Not, he was not linked to the Browns in my mind at all though. So yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from there. Yeah. And I'm trying to, so, you know, the main thing that we talked about, like on, on the last pod, we, you know, we talked about Larry Ogunjobi, obviously moving on to Cincinnati. And I just kind of thought that they were going to end up replacing him with again, Andrew Billings, but also Jordan Elliott, who I, I know they're pretty high on rookie this past year he got hurt didn't see a lot of playing time but I think those two guys as well as Sheldon Richardson of course and I wouldn't I've heard some early rumblings of possible Sheldon Richardson extension too which was kind of surprising but I think if you can line out Sheldon Richardson and Malik Jackson right next to each other and then you know he had Tack McKinley and, and Miles Garrett like I think that just like I'm, I'm more comfortable going into the season with knowing what our run defense is now versus what it was last year. And, and we, again, it hasn't been that big of a change, but just this one little addition. And then I think I, I'm pretty, I like Andrew Billings too. I, I like what he can bring. So bringing him back healthy, I, I think will kind of automatically be better on run defense, which needs to happen because my God, I don't think the Browns have had a good run defense in my 26 years of life. So hopefully this is the move that uh, gets it over the top, Henry. Yeah. And, and that's why this, this move makes a lot more sense is, Malik Jackson, better against the run, better against the pass than Larry Ogunjobi, and they yeah. signed him for less money. Larry Ogunjobi yeah. got a one-year, over $6 million deal with like a base salary of $4.5 million in Cincinnati. This is one year, $4.5 million total. I'm guessing that means the guaranteed money is not $4.5 million if we have learned anything from free agent contracts this year. <laughs> yeah. So, at, yeah, they, they basically signed a guy who has better production for a cheaper cost than, than, than Larry Ogunjobi. And to me, yes, he is better against the run than Larry Ogunjobi. That's where Ogunjobi was weakest, I would say. Uh, he's not even quite as good as Sheldon Richardson as far as the numbers are concerned. But but the thing I really like about this deal is Malik Jackson can rush the passer from the D tackle spot. He's not Aaron Donald, but he even in his declining you know age here and production as he gets older – He's still been a, a top 20 D tackle as far as rushing the passer. He had an 11.3% pressure rate last year. And so he was eight, the 18th most productive D tackle rushing and way more uh, productive than Larry Ogunjobi. I think Ogunjobi was 58th as far as D tackles when in, in pressure rate. So uh, uh, to me, yeah, so, you're building so, the Browns. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's something interesting. I, I, when I was reading about this the other night, um, just kind of like you, how you were just kind of hitting the point of how the uh, edge rush, like, or not the edge rush, but how uh, Jordan Elliott is actually able to, like, he's a really good, I mean, not great, but he's better than most uh, defensive tackles at getting to the quarterback in the, in the passing game. So I, I you know, it was, I think it was sports illustrated that said it, but I, there was something they were saying that it was a possibility that the Browns in some packages would line Jackson up at that edge rush position alongside Miles Garrett, and then kind of that's where uh, Elliott and uh, Billings or, or Richardson, any any three of those or any two of that three combination. But I, I thought it was interesting. So, like, do you think there's a chance that he does – and I don't know what the – necessarily what the personnel uh, scheme would be off the top of my head, but is there a chance that they 
we're looking at Jackson as like, hey, obviously we have Tech McKinley, but in certain sets and certain packages, we're going to want to line you up on the edge too, free you up along Miles Garrett. I think I think that's a possibility as well. I just wanted to make sure we hit that before we move down here. No, it makes a lot of sense. I I I think you're right. Uh, I ultimately it'll depend on the draft. Is is my take because I don't know if they're going to add somebody else into the mix on the edge there. I think the Browns are not going to just rely on Tack McKinley to be their guy opposite Miles yeah. Garrett in every key situation. So I think Malik Jackson definitely provides some more flexibility as far as somebody you can move to the edge as well and. Tack McKinley's done some work inside before, so you could kind of flip-flop those guys, just change up looks depending on your matchup. So I, I, I do see that. And just philosophically, I like this a lot more too, right? Like yeah, the Browns have to get pressure on the best teams. And you know Miles Garrett's going to get a ton of attention from the Chiefs, from the Bills. And you look at what those teams have prioritized. They've been trying to share up the interior of their offensive lines this offseason because interior pressure bothers those guys a lot it Mm -hmm. bothers Josh Allen it bothers Patrick Mahomes and so I think Malik Jackson adds another element to the Browns pressure game with those four guys where he can kind of push the pocket back on the interior side of things and I think that will complement Miles Garrett really well so philosophically to me it makes a lot of sense is get guys in that front four that can rush the passer yes the run defense does need to get better but to me it, the pass defense is so much more of an issue and pass rush being part of that. That's what excites me the most about the signing. I, that, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I like, I like versatile guys like that guys that you can line up and, and kind of shift all over the defense to put different matchups and kind of uh, exploit mismatches. And, and I think that he's going to be a good guy that can do that. Another thing that I thought was interesting about this is was age. And, you know, we talked about earlier and this might maybe even like one of the first pods that we did about like, are the Browns going to try and go after veteran guys now because, you know, how young this team was and what they still could do in the draft. And and I, I remember saying that it's like it's time to add veterans. It's time to add guys with experience because I just think that there's – I mean, obviously the whole the, – we got to the playoffs and won a playoff game last year, so that's experience in itself. But I like to bring other guys who have been in kind of different battles into the locker room and kind of mold that into what we have here. And I think that two guys, um, Troy Hill, who – was a cornerback that we signed from the Rams as well. Who we talked about um, in, in the last spot was also 30 years old. So it's like you got both of these guys that are uh, 30 years old being brought in here. I just think that's interesting that, cause I was wondering, like I, I get there. Uh, Troy Hill was like, I think it was like three or four year deal, but just a one year deal from Malik Jackson. But I love to see it, man. I love to see uh, bringing in these, uh, these veteran guys in here. That's, I think that's the exact kind of mix that we need, particularly on defense. I agree in general. I, I, I like a veteran here, uh, especially because your other guys at the D tackle position are young in terms yeah. of the other options opposite Sheldon Richardson and, and Elliot and Billings. So it makes sense to sign a veteran. I, I do think this team did needed a couple more veterans as far as they're playing a lot of guys with an experience and it looks like we'll continue to, I will say I do again, I am pro this signing. But I will say I thought the Browns hype train on Twitter got a little bit out of control as far as Malik Jackson. As it always does. (laughs) It was, uh, look, this is not 2017 Malik Jackson, right? He's a veteran. He's going to be stable. He's going to provide, I I think. But look, he's he's not like, he's not 2017 Malik Jackson. He's not this huge or unstopping force in the middle anymore. He's a veteran on the decline of his career. I think he makes sense with his team. I'm all for the signing. But some of Brown's Twitter was acting like we got the Malik Jackson from the Denver Broncos Super Bowl team. And I was like, all right, all right. That is not exactly what happened here. Like <laughs> the, the Browns got a guy who 
had nice numbers who I think will produce for them, but he is an aging veteran who had three sacks last year. I ultimately don't yeah. think this is the Super Bowl changing signing either. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, that's so Browns fans and Browns Twitter to just kind of lose their mind over kind of just a, you know, run of the mill signing like this. And, uh, but to kind of defend the Browns faithful for a second, I think it's more of like an overall excitement of how, just how much different the defense is going to look this year, how much more confident we're going to be in the defense, kind of just how much better overall I think the defense is going to be. Just a lot of new faces on there at positions that we needed. And I guess the next thing is depth, but I think that it's an overall excitement, you know. <laughs> I get the Malik Jackson thing poured into it, but I think the Browns fans just realized, like, hey, we need to do attack the defense, and we can see that we're starting to attack the defense, and it's going to look a lot different, and I think it's going to be a lot better next year. I, I do think the defense is going to be a lot better. I think these signings are going to help. They they do fit for the most part together. I obviously down on the Anthony Walker signing a little bit. I hope they they at least bring somebody else into the mix there in case that doesn't work out. But in general, I'm I'm right there. I think the defense is going to be way better. I just I saw some Browns fans being like, "Oh my God, Malik Jackson and four and a half million dollars a year." And it's like Super Bowl, right, yeah. <laughs> like uh, it, yeah, four and a half million dollars a year because Malik Jackson is not. It, it is not a guy in his early twenties lighting it up. He's reaching free agency because he is uh he, he's a little bit older. That's all right. That's all right. Those signings help. They they okay. they, they, yeah. they make a difference on the margins, but it's not. It wasn't everything uh, either. Jordan. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, just let us let us have our moment, man. Come on. I, I know. I, I guess I'm being the pessimist here on this pod, but I, I wouldn't say that's usually my role. But I guess it is today. I guess it is today. Damn, you're you're I was super down on Anthony Walker too, man. Uh, if we get like eight games into the year and he's tearing it up, we gotta we get we gotta run back the tape or something on that. <laughs> well, we'll have to see what tearing it up means because I think Anthony Walker's gonna have yeah, a lot of right. tackles. I don't, I'm not sure yeah, it, it's all gonna be great stuff though. We'll see. We'll see. I, hey, I could right. be wrong. I'll yeah. be happy if yeah. I am wrong. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's no, I, as I said, he's I a beloved Northwestern Wildcat. Uh, yeah. No, I Jordan, appreciate your honesty, man. A conversation we had earlier in the year on this podcast was Browns that need to be re-signed. And I stated that the Browns needed to re-sign Cody Parkey, which I think went over poorly. And then I had to backtrack a little bit. I would say both. I think you disagreed a little bit with that. And I, I also got some backlash some other places as well, as far as uh, my defense of Cody Parkey. However, the Browns did re-sign Cody Parker. And it looks like he is going to be the kicker on this team next season, kicking an often underrated piece of, of a team, especially a playoff team. So how how do you feel about Cody Parkey as being your Browns 2021 kicker? It's whatever, you know, I mean. <laughs> like, what? It's whatever I don't think inspires like, confidence in Browns. Here, so here, here's, what, here's what I mean by this. It's like he didn't have, like, I think we can sit here and confidently say if he had, like, that bad moment in, like, the playoffs or something, like he – missed an extra point against the Steelers or missed a field goal against the Chiefs that like could have won us the game or something like that. Like he didn't have that catastrophic collapse that I think kind of like we were almost waiting to happen because it was like, it hasn't really happened yet. It hasn't really happened yet. It's going to happen. It didn't happen. So I guess they kind of were just forced to be like, yeah, let's run it back. I mean, I, you know, it's probably the smarter thing to do to try not tie up money in a kicker and then spend that money elsewhere. So, I mean, it's whatever, man. But I, you, I think we, you can agree with me that, if there was like another double doink or he did miss a field goal where kind of people got up in arms about it, not sure he would still be here. Not sure. I, I get that, but Cody Porky to me made the field goals that he needed to make. He, he first of all, percentage yeah. wise on the season, I think his numbers are pretty decent. What, uh, let me, 
Let me pull him up. 19 here. to 22. He, 19 to 22. 22. Okay. Look, he obviously doesn't have a huge leg. They don't, they don't roll him out from 58 yards or anything like that. But he, to me, he made, I, did Cody Parkey miss an important kick this year? Am I misremembering anything? Because I felt like every time I was nervous about Cody Parkey because of the double doink reputation, I felt missed, like he yeah. didn't really miss. I, I feel like he didn't really miss the, the, the ones that mattered. I, I, I understand Browns fans are tired of the kicking woes post Phil Dawson, and we were spoiled with Phil Dawson because he was such an accurate kicker for so long. But I didn't think Cody Parkey was that bad. I, if Look, if they bring in some competition and he loses, I'm not going to be up in arms about it either. But I feel like Browns fans were nervous because he had this catastrophic miss on a big stage in the playoffs, and that became part of his reputation. But I feel like if Cody Parkey had, was named Austin Seibert and had the year he had, Browns fans would just be like, all right, yeah. fine. He can be our kicker next year. Like, whatever. but here's the thing. Like, so that's always going to follow him wherever he. Like this year, we're going to be really good again. We're going to be in the playoffs again, competing, con- possibly contending for a Super Bowl. And if he has that same, if he has another fucking brutal miss, Henry, it's going to be the same thing. We're all going to be sitting here. Why did he? Like, why did we bring back a guy whose nickname is Double Doink? Like, that's that's exactly what we're going to be saying. So it's like, I don't know. It's just it's just hard when you have that reputation and. You know, I don't know. And you have to be relied on for a team that has Super Bowl aspirations. I don't know. I just, I wasn't excited about it. I mean, again, it's kind of like, what else were you going to do? I mean, kicking is kind of just a weird position in general in football right now. So, like, who really has, who can you really sit here and has, say, has like a secure spot at kicking? Like, the Ravens. And I was like, going to say, that's unfortunately, really the team in our own division uh, yeah. has the best kicker in the league. But look, Cody Parkey last year in the playoffs was he made eight for eight on extra points, three for three on field goals in all of the critical games down the stretch against Pittsburgh, against the jets. He didn't miss any field goals. He, his last miss, it was in that Monday night game. It looks like he, uh, uh, against Baltimore, he missed one. Didn't he, uh, so did he not, Maybe I'm crazy, but did he not miss a handful of extra points this year? He did. He, he did miss a handful of extra points this year. Okay. Well. And, and so yeah, I, I and those that. are deflating, man. Like they, if you go down to score and you, and you score on your opening drive, you score a touchdown and then you miss that extra point. That's kind of like almost a win for the defense. Cause now that they're, and, and then, you know, it's, and then they offense gets the ball back and okay, now all we got to do is score a touchdown and then kick our extra point, And then we have a lead. Like those are deflating. You know what I mean? Yeah, he was he was ninety one and a half percent on extra points, twenty second in the league. So he was obviously towards the bottom half of kickers that qualify here, but not insanely bad either. I would say kind of like pretty much in the middle of the pack. I mean, basically everybody is kind of in the like ninety one, ninety two percent range, and then you get to kind of the top ten kickers that were much more accurate as far as like Will Lutz, Justin Tucker, Zane Gonzalez, those kind of guys that are that are clearly the top of the class. So. I don't know. Yeah. He's, look, he's not those guys. He's not Justin Tucker. He's not Will Lutz. He's not, you know, the, one of the guys that's going to be a pro bowl kicker and and all of that. But, but I think he's, if you end up with him as an option, he's relatively safe to me. And I felt like the, the, the Cody Parkey, you know, the double doink reputation was a little unfair just because he, he didn't miss any, egregious kicks at all last year it's not it's not like this guy has a history of four years in a row yes he missed one giant kick in a big moment I understand that but for the Browns in this new environment he was fine he was adequate and I think he's still that yeah but at the same time though it's like he didn't really miss any egregious kicks because we weren't putting him in the situation to do so 
Like I vividly remember a lot of times it would be a fourth and three and it would have been like a 53 or 54, 55 yard field goal. And they're just like, now we're just going to go for it. I guess I know that analytics plays into that as well. I was going to say, I don't, uh, that, that part does not bother me at all though. I like that. Yeah, no, I I get that. But at the same time, like when you have a really good offense, like we do that can generate points. I, I think it's also would be a luxury to have a guy that, you know, can bury that 55 yarder, but maybe that's just me. I don't know. You know, I, I know that it's analytics and like, I agree with it. Like I, I like going for fourth down in most situations, but you see what I'm saying with like, just the having the trust and confidence in the guy that, you know, it's like, Hey, if we like, cause the way we can run the ball, it's like, Hey, we get the ball on our side of the field. It's like odds are we're going to get at least three here. Like, I just think that's a luxury to have when you're a team trying to contend for a Super Bowl. Yeah. I just, I, I agree with you. It would be, it would be absolutely fantastic if that were the case, but if you look at the best kickers, in the league last year in terms of field goals attempted from 50 plus Buffalo's kicker was four for six. All of the rest are kickers on bad teams that were okay. I mean, they hit a decent percent, you know, 80%, you know, uh, it looks like three out of nine. So that's what 33% from Greg Zoderline on Dallas, but none of the best teams really attempt those 50 yarders. Anyway, even Baltimore with Justin Tucker only attempted five field goals of 50 yards or more last year. So it is only against it's us nice. to win the game. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it's nice. It's it, it's definitely something I would love. But to me, it's also a little bit of a luxury. And I'm not. I felt like Browns fans were freaking out that we resigned Cody Parkey. And I'm like, okay, he's fine. He's an average kicker. Like I, I get that you know who he is, and so that freaks you out more because of his playoff reputation. But he's just an average kicker. That's all he is. Yeah, it's just like it really is kind of just like can we can we bring back Phil Dawson? Like can we all like. Can, I, can we can go? He ahead still kick? Like a, what is he like fifty yeah. something at this point? Hey, can, I'm sure he can still kick, man. Like that—that that plays into it too. You—you you, you had such a good point when you when you mentioned that. Of just like we were spoiled with Phil Dawson for so long, so now we expect anyone to come in and like kick in this crazy stadium into the dog pound wind. It's like going in like forty different directions, and Phil Dawson could do it. So now we expect everyone to do it. Like it sucks, but like. Yeah, like, can we just, like, get at him on Twitter? Like, just blow him up. Like, dude, come back to the Browns. Come back to the Browns. Like, you know he's like, oh, this team is good for the first time. Like, can we just get Phil Phil Dawson back here? That's all I want. That's all I want. So, Phil Dawson is 46 years old. So not too old. He he probably could still kick. I will say, Jordan, Phil Dawson's – we're talking about 50-yarders here. Phil Dawson wasn't exactly well-known for his uh, his 50-yard – I think, look, in – since. 99 at 2018 so what i mean that's a lot of years he he attempted 60 field goals ever from 50 plus he was not exactly a 42 out of 60 so decent percentage but uh he wasn't exactly the the long leg guy he was more yeah those those were also terrible offenses for for 20 years for the most part as well Well, what does that have to do with the kicking part because you're you're not getting the ball close i don't know you're not getting the opportunities you said only 60 times it's because those offense suck for the majority of time i don't know it's just just the fact that you could like, I think that it's not so much even the fifty yards. I mean, it's just kicking in Cleveland on that lake into the dog pound when the wind is going crazy is another thing in itself, right? Like, like you can't like kickers come into that stadium and like I've heard like I'm, I've heard kickers talk about like how insane it is that wind how it moves in the in the dog pound end of the stadium. Like you see one flag is flapping this way, the other one's that way. Like the wind is literally going in different directions and like people can't kick into it. Like they just can't. Well, we found a kicker who was not so bad kicking in Cleveland. Cody Parker yeah, was we'll adequate. See. Yeah, we'll Cleveland. see. 
So I'm not overall, excited about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not sure I really want to be all the way out on this ledge because there's a real possibility that number one, Cody Parker gets beat by Austin Seibert in camp next year or somebody else. And number two, that he misses yeah. the kick early in the season and Browns fans are going to come after me. But here I am. Here I am defending or Cody like, Parker. So I guess, I'm on, I guess I am out here. And, and kicking is one of those things too, where like if he has a bad stretch, a, a stretch of like four bad games in a row to start the year, like they will cut him and just bring in someone else. You know what I mean? Like it's low risk. That's for sure. I just, yeah. I guess I feel bad for him because I feel like he, he's gotten a real, a real short end <laughs> of the straw as far as, as people yeah. coming after him. So I guess that's where I, I I'm probably defending him too much. I am defending him too much. I definitely am <laughs> defending are. him definitely. too much. I know that <laughs> I can uh, recognize that, but also I think part of that comes from a soft spot for me where I'm just like, okay, this dude, yes, it's, it, 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 people went a little too far with, with his uh, with the hate a, a, after the double toy. Easy target, right? Like that's all. Yeah, he is an easy target. <laughs> he is an easy target, exactly. All right, Jordan, that's all I have uh, as far as topics. I think we've touched on all the major free agent signings for the Browns so far this season. No JoJo Natson talk, I, th- I think, on this podcast. I think we'll stay away from uh, special <laughs> okay. teams kick returner JoJo Natson. not going to be that deep of a dive. <laughs> yeah, you know, I thought about it, but I just, I, I'll be honest, my ta- my takes on JoJo Natson are pretty limited, and I'm not sure there's a whole lot of uh, whole lot of other film study or statistical evidence to go into. So I think we'll stick with the major ones, and we'll be back with, with another pod later this week. But in the meantime, everybody, if you're listening out there, very much appreciated. Please subscribe, rate, review. Jordan and I would appreciate the support. Obviously, Jordan's been on a lot recently as well and has done a fantastic job. So, Jordan, thank you so much. Absolutely, brother. Happy to keep doing these with you. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. We got to wrap things up. Uh, there's a lot more NCAA tournament basketball to watch. Yeah. Uh, and a lot more uh, action to be had. But we will either be talking about more free agent signings later this week when they come down or – we can start maybe you know, peeking ahead towards the draft. There's some other topics I have kind of written down about this Browns offseason that are still to be decided. So plenty of content still to come here on the rebuild. But Browns fans, until next time, just two words for you. Go Browns.